Welcome back to another episode of Beautiful Adaptive Warrior. I'm your host, Angie Huber. It's time once again to unleash the warrior within you. Are you ready? Welcome to the show. Today I have Dan Bonarotti and Kelly Allegro. They are PTs from my, right at the beginning of my amputation. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you guys here, especially from all over. Uh, Kelly, we've missed you. You've moved away. Um, I just kind of want to hear, have everybody hear a little bit about who you are and kind of how we know each other. Dan, why don't you start us? Tell us a little bit about you, your education, your family life, anything you'd like to share so people get to know you. Sure. I'm originally an East Coast boy. I I was born in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Went to school in Pennsylvania at um, Penn State undergrad. And then it was a school called Hahnemann. Now it's called Drexel University for Physical Therapy. And then made my way out to California where I met my my wife and ended up in Arizona because she couldn't handle the gray skies of Pennsylvania. So, (laughs) So here we are. And was able to develop a private practice called Touchstone Rehab. And it's, it's, been, it's been a journey and kind of settled into working with a lot of people with amputations and also different kind of neurologic and traumatic type injuries. So that's kind of been our, our journey. Excellent. Thank you. Kelly, how about you? Um, so I'm currently living in Tampa, Florida, like you alluded to earlier, I am a Florida girl. Um, but I did live in the state of Arizona for 10 years. That's where I met Dan. Um, so I got my doctorate degree out in Arizona. And um, I'm also a board certified um, clinical specialist in neurologic physical therapy. Um, so I have a, a lot of neuro background, all thanks to Dan, I knew that I wanted to work in prosthetics. Um, since I was in high school, I loved it after meeting um, a young a young boy by the name of Rudy Garcia Tolson, who works with the Challenged Athlete Foundation. He ran with um, he ran with myself and our and our cross country team. And I thought this is so cool. I you know, this is something that I would totally be interested in. So once I started my clinicals, I started shadowing a prosthetist and I kept asking around, where do I, where do I need to go so that I get this prosthetic um, training? Because in school you get, you know, three, three years of didactic work, but you get very little prosthetics. And um, everybody kept telling me, Dan Bonarotti, go find Dan Bonarotti. Um, and so that's what I did. I kind of hunted him down and, um, and begged him to, to hire me. <laughs> and mentor me. And so, so most of my experience has been in prosthetics and with some neuro sprinkled in. And currently I'm doing a lot of concussion treatment in Tampa. Um, and I'm teaching full-time or part-time rather at the University of South Florida and teaching prosthetics. That's one of the courses I teach. That's awesome. And now Dan, how long have you been in, in this business and in, in this avenue of neurological and prosthetic physical therapy? I mean, has that been the get-go? for you am i am i allowed to plead the fifth on that because that computes to age no because i'm just going to tell them your age anyways at the end (laughs) (laughs) i guess i guess about 23 to 25 years depending on my memory something like that (laughs) depending somewhere in the 20s how about you kelly Right, right oh i've been treating since 2013 and the entire time until up up until recently i've been treating with dan Okay. So you, that's where you really got your start professionally is working with his, in his company. Mm -hmm. Yep. I've been with Dan since I graduated since 2013. It was my first job. Okay. And now it's funny because when I first started coming to uh, touchstone rehab, I didn't know you, you weren't there. I think you were coming back from Florida, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And then at that point, you were really working with other patients. You really weren't working with, I had more dance time, but then all the, tell Dan, tell them a little bit about how your, um, your business works, because it was really interesting to me. I've always been to physical therapy, like eight years of physical therapy, and it was always the static people, right? It was the same people. Yours is different. How is your setup? 
we are a, a big teaching center, which kind of developed naturally and slowly over, you know, you would get one student that was maybe interested and then from a, from a, call, from a physical therapy school. So, you know, as physical therapists, kind of like doctors, we have to do residencies or, or, or internships mm -hmm. to, you know, to complete our training. And, uh, you know, this type of setting being in outpatient and uh, with these, you know, this niche community of, of clients mm -hmm. is not very common. So once, once a school kind of learns that we're available, then a lot of times, you know, it's a, it's a, a unique slot for them to send physical therapy interns to. And so we have a lot of, of interns coming to train from, from around the country, just, you know, so that they get taught and we pass on, you know, share the knowledge. So yeah. we, we like to use a lot of um, Bob Gailey's techniques, who's, you know, a, a kind of a pioneer in, in training people with uh, imputations to walk. And so, you know, we, we kind of take pride on training others to do it right um, so that people are learning right all, all over the country. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was interesting to me. It was the first time I had been into a physical therapy office that um, you get to know the people and then it's so sad because they move on and you're like, you're leaving. <laughs> and then you yeah. think, oh, it'll never be the same. And then the new group comes in and you're like, oh, you guys are awesome. Oh, wait, you're leaving. <laughs> you're like, okay, I think I went through like three yeah. or four groups of people there. So I'm interested to tell um, the listeners how I actually met you. Um, one of the things that I push a lot with people is advocating for their own medical um, necessities, uh, because if you aren't going to do it, no one's really going to push like you're going to push for yourself. And there's so many people, and I used to be that way as well at the very beginning of my journey, was you didn't want to step on doctor's toes, professional's toes. You wanted to, they knew everything. And then I started learning that I knew more about me and I needed to convey better what I needed. And one of the things that I have really enjoy with my journey is the fact that everyone's interconnected. You know, when I went and saw Dr. Cummings, who I had on two weeks ago, he said, you got to go see David and Randy. I was at David and Randy. I met them before my amputation, talked to them, interviewed them, got to know them, made sure it was a right fit. And they said, you got to go see Dan. <laughs> so it's nice because it's, it comes full circle and that does help. Do you remember when I came in to see you, your face, you were so confused. <laughs> I came well, in with yeah. two legs. <laughs> right, right. And David and Randy said, you know, you got to go see Dan. I got an appointment and go do your K-level test. And I came in, you're like, you're doing a K-level test with both your legs? And I'm like, I don't know. That's what they told me to do. I didn't know anything about it. And it was still kind of hard for me because I was in a lot of pain when I came right. to you. And, and some of the things, what is the K-level test first off? Okay, I, I'll, I'll chime in and you want to chime in after Kelly? Sure. Okay. So uh, I guess Medicare started a lot of the K-level requirement and then that passed, that kind of got picked up by a lot of the regular insurers. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's well-intentioned uh, to make sure that the person is qualified for the level of prosthetic that they need and that the process asks for and we're supposed to be that independent evaluation voice of you know what the person needs so there are some standardized tests that have been developed with balance and some different walking speeds and walking distances and then they have you know been researched and kind of categorized into different levels to you know from like k1 to k4 um to substantiate that a person needs that level of a prosthetic, um, especially with the, uh, a person with an above the knee prosthetic, the, the, you know, for those of you that have heard of microprocessor knees, which, you know, have little microcomputers in them, the, um, you know, they have to be at least K3 or, or, or K4 level to get those. So those are the upper levels and they have to meet certain scoring to get that, or at least show, in some of the terminology, there is some leeway for what they call potential to achieve those, those levels of, of mobility. 
if okay. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Kelly, what are some of those tests that I would have run through? Maybe talk about when it usually happens, which is not, well, you know, not many elective amputations. So the majority are after the fact, right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, so as Dan um, had already mentioned, K-level testing was created by Medicare. It's functional testing. It's a way that we could justify certain prosthetics for patients. So some of the standardized tests we do is a, a very common one and kind of the gold standard for K-level testing is called the um, amputee mobility predictor, which was developed by Bob Gailey, um, has a lot of research to support the use. So that's one that you went through. Typically it's done um, post amputation. Um, sometimes it's done without, uh, without any prosthesis. So just with the amputated limb and the sound limb. And then sometimes it's done with a prosthesis that that patient may, a temporary prosthesis that that patient may be using. Oftentimes it'll be someone that started with perhaps a very, um, very simple mechanical knee right. and the prosthetists are really trying to justify getting that patient a microprocessor knee. Okay. And, and I remember some of the tests, I mean, we're literally without using the arms of a chair, sitting and getting back up. Um, the walking one just about killed me because I had to go up and down your hallway and many times and my right. knee just was so sore because I don't, I wasn't walking. Um, yeah. Trying to think what else, the one that bothered me was even after the fact, like a couple months later, I was supposed to, with my prosthetic, be able to go up and down stairs without holding on. I can go, I, I can go down the stairs now without holding on. I'm so excited, but That's up cool. with my sea, sea leg, I, I still, I can't. That model is really not designed for mm -hmm. that. It isn't. It um, isn't. And I scored pretty high, even though I had both legs, because really it was a non-functioning need that I had when I came to see you. Yeah. yeah, you did. You did score very well. That's that's the other tricky part about the testing is so when someone comes to see us like for a wheelchair, the the worse the worse they clinically present or the more problems they present with, the more uh, expensive or or sometimes better equipment they can get. Interesting. But unfortunately, with with um, prosthetic scoring even though you would think that the the people that need the microprocessor needs which are safer and are supposed to avoid falls you need to have a higher score with most insurances to get the higher level equipment so it is a little different twist um you know for for different types of equipment so it's is is there still a k-level test for upper extremities um I'm actually not sure. We don't do a lot of that. We're not as a lot of times involved as early. Sometimes we're just writing pure letters of medical necessity. Got it. But uh, Kelly, I don't think there's an AMPRO for upper extremity, right? No, there's currently none. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know because I know there's like major technological advances with the upper limb, hands and there fingers. And I've seen you work with people in your office with the hands. Right. Um, and I just didn't know because I would think that they'd have to score really high to get something really electronic and really what, robust. What usually ends up happening is they they end up getting what they call a body powered prosthetic where, you know, you move the shoulder a certain direction and, yeah. and that opens and closes the hand. And then if they kind of work their way, that that is not meeting their needs. And, and yeah. you can it's usually just a straight kind of letter of medical justification that you write. Yeah. to the insurance more than testing. Okay. So you, know, you saw me, like I said, before my amputation. And then, um, you know, when it comes to PT, what I have found out, and I think the importance of this interview today is to enlighten um, the population, the amputee population, lower limb amputation. There's a lot of people that have reached out to me and said that their doctor has cut all their PT and they can't walk yet or their doctor, their prosthetist has uh, said, no, you don't need PT. And I'm, I'm totally appalled by that because I would have been totally, I mean, you saw me, the first time you saw me with my leg, Dan, was 
I had had it for a week in California and I had no idea what I was doing. And if you remember, I came in so bruised because I wasn't using my hip. I was pushing through with my limb and just Mm -hmm. banging it up. And I mean, we're talking serious bruising. I was so tender and in so much pain and you just tweaked one thing. And I was, I was on my way. Well, don't forget, you also gave us like two more weeks before you were going skiing. So, you know, you gave us plenty of time. to. (laughs) That's true. I didn't, you know, I had, well, yes, because I hadn't even had my, so for those of you listening, my surgery was December 18th of 18, December 19th of 18. And we had a ski trip planned for April. (laughs) And so I had to wait six weeks for my staples to be out. I think I even went a little longer because he's like, you know, there's one area I just want to make sure. And then, of course, you have to do the waiting game to get your prosthetic. And I think I remember coming in, yeah, literally a few weeks. And I was like, well, if I'm skiing, there is no way I'm skiing with this thing on me because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't know what to do with it. So luckily, I found out that I actually prefer to ski, uh, tri ski with the, the mono, um, the outriggers with me. And I did that this year too. Um, but yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have much time and I had you guys working pretty hard for me yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> so tell motivation me was never a problem. What motivation, motivation with you was never a problem. No, I, that whole waiting game was the hardest part of all of this. And then again, this last December with that surgery, with the TMR surgery, uh, just being on crutches for four weeks, I thought I was going to go crazy. You know, I don't, I really don't know how anybody does that. So when it comes to PT, how important is it, you guys, to have this PT set up if you can ahead of time of the surgery? And if not, when does it come into play? When is it important? And when should they be fighting for that? And how should they fight for that? Well, I think it's important wherever you are in the country that you that you just investigate uh, a therapist's expertise because you know, we're not sports medicine therapists mm-hmm. and there are sports medicine therapists that aren't, you know, used to working with clients with amputations, but, you know, in the business world, most people are not going to want to turn away a client. So it is kind of important that you, that you ask those questions, you know, do you see people with my issue um, frequently and in, in, in fairly high numbers? Because so- sometimes we see people who say they were actually discharged from therapy just because they kept walking farther, but they weren't walking well and they were still had specific weaknesses that weren't addressed. Um, But because the person maybe didn't know how to teach them well, they just worked on quantity, you know, and and more of something. So in terms of when after surgery, some of that depends on your, um, your healing, you know, in addition to, wanting the incision and things to heal well you also want the the skin kind of on your leg to remain mobile so that it doesn't get adhesed or um, attached to the bone because that's really hard to to break loose so i would say even if it's not therapy um you know one question to ask your doctor will be when, when can i start you know massaging the leg working with a with the, the skin um and then obviously not right over the incision, but when the incision heals, eventually you'll want to be, you know, even massaging that. And, and it's a different type of massage because your hand is not moving around on the skin. It's actually staying in one place on the skin and you're moving the tissue around to make sure it doesn't adhese down. Yeah. Or breaking up the scar tissue. Yeah. That can yeah. end up getting there. Cause that would be painful inside of prosthetic. Um, Kelly, what, um, what would you say if someone actually was able to prepare, they were getting prepared for the type of surgery I had, what would be the most important types of exercises to be prepared for being down one leg? So I think obviously it's going to be dependent on if it's an elective amputation versus a non-elective amputation. Um, if it's if it's elective, then that's the perfect time to go around and start interviewing, I mean, actually interviewing physical therapists, just Mm -hmm. as you would a prosthetist, just as you would a physician. Because the reality is that you're gonna be with that team, that village for a very long time, Mm -hmm. for maybe even a lifetime. 
And so it's important that you kind of jive with that therapist and they have um, an area of expertise. I can tell you that the, um, the amount of education that physical therapists get in on prosthetics is minimal. The average uh, PT program in the United States offers eight to 15 hours of prosthetic um, training and education. That's not very much. So a lot of times the physical therapists have to do continuing education. Dan and I have spent uh, lots of time going to different um, courses and, and learning different things. And that's why that's how we've developed the expertise we had. So I think first and foremost, like Dan said, is finding a therapist that knows what they're doing and understands gait of somebody using a prosthesis. Yeah. Um, so obviously if that, if that patient, it's, it's more of an elective amputation, um, we would want to see them prior to the amputation because a big part of what we do as physical therapists is educate patients. Yeah. We want to make it to where you don't need us anymore. You can do these exercises on your own and, mm-hmm. and, and you don't rely on us um, as much as you did maybe right after the amputation. So if you could start with physical therapy prior to the amputation, that's really the best because then yeah. we could teach you, um, you know, right, right when you have the surgery, these are the positions that you want to avoid because it could cause a contracture of the limb, which mm-hmm. will down the line make it difficult to cast you in a prosthesis. Yeah. These are exercises that you could do in the hospital bed. Um, let's let's strengthen um, your glute muscles. So I always joke with my patients, it's all about the butt because it really is. <laughs> it is you know, so. the, <laughs> it is. I, I remember telling you that so much when we were training for running, running. I would always tell you it's all about the butt, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the glutes play such a huge role in walking yeah. and functional movements, like moving from a seated position to a standing position. So the, mm-hmm. the quicker we could get that person doing exercises, like something as simple as sitting to standing and doing it repeatedly, mm-hmm. um, strengthening that muscle, the more the more efficient they're going to be as prosthetic users and the more successful they're going to be as prosthetic users. Yeah. Well, I know you, you talk about the glutes. Um, I would also argue that core is really, really important. Yeah. Would you guys agree? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I, I would say, yeah, in terms of uh, above the knee amputations, I, I would add the, the, the hip, um, the glutes for strength and then the front of the hip for range of motion. So, yes. you know, like Kelly said, maybe, maybe laying on your stomach, if you can tolerate that, uh, we actually like laying on your stomach is great to maintain range. It's not necessarily the best stretch if you're already tight because your back can kind of arch its way out of the stretch. Mm-hmm. But, but having a therapist look at your hip to see if you have a hip, a hip flexion contracture in, above the knee prosthetics is, is a big, is a, a big problem. If it gets too bad, that -hmm. can definitely affect your ability to use the prosthetic correctly. And then with core, we usually just recommend a lot of what we would call neutral spine type core exercises where you're not necessarily doing like sit-ups or like twists. You're, Mm -hmm. you're more doing like planks or um, things where you're holding your core because that's where you're, your back and hip need to have stability above it as well to kind of pull from when you're, when you're walking. So those types of exercises I think are, are better than like movement types of core exercise yeah. or twisting and bending, you know. And you brought up that with the hip flexor and that was one of my problems because I couldn't walk right. And then when I did lose that excess 10 pound of leg at amputation, I would notice looking straight down my left half leg was naturally sticking out. So that's right. what you're referring to, right? Like I, my hip flexor right. was tight and short. Right. It was shr- had shrunk up. Especially if you sit, if the person mm-hmm. is non-ambulatory for a while because of trauma or something, right. the long, the longer you sit, the, the easier it is for the hip to, you know, to shorten the hip flexor to shorten up. Well, and the more I talk to people and hear stories, you know, I count my blessings and how lucky I am one to have the medical personnel that I have as friends and who have helped me along my way, but also considering how unlucky my seven or so years before the amputation, even though I've had my share of issues and pains, 
compared to what I'm hearing, there's a lot of people that just can't put their prosthetic on. They put it in a corner and they're weird wheelchair bound, even young people. And, and when you say that, and they're sitting in a wheelchair, that hip flexor is, that's not, it won't be a good thing. And that'll be yeah, even harder for them when it comes to getting that prosthetic to, to, to work the way they need it to work. Yes. It, it will tighten quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed that. <laughs> so some of the things now um, with Kelly, you really came in, you like, I, I remember seeing you, you were kind of elusive when I was there. Like when I'd come in, you had your, you were in the back area with the curtain and I saw you working with people Snacking. with Keon. She was, she was probably snacking. She, well, yeah, that, well, you she guys have a lot eat. of food there. That was another thing. You guys, the, this place was so great that when they'd have certain patients coming in that they needed to work on like fine motor skills, they'd have a cooking day. I remember that. And, and they would, you guys would bring in all the materials. And I know one was a young, young kid, just a, a boy. And he right. was working on fine motor skills, wasn't he? And just doing something fun. And, and the teacher in me, that's exactly how I used to run my classroom was don't get them thinking about what they're actually doing, make it enjoyable. And they're getting something out of it. And that was kind of neat that you guys always kind of seem to, to think outside the box. And that then comes to, well, finally, when Kelly was kind of put in charge of my regiment, when I said, so my friend challenged me to a 10 K well, she actually challenged me to anything for the rock and roll Phoenix in January, the year after my amputation, which I thought, oh, that's plenty of time. And then as summer started approaching, I'm like, this is crazy. Um, I got fortunate enough to get a running blade, which is still not my best friend yet, (laughs) but I remember coming in and that's when Dan said, so Kelly's the runner. <laughs> Let's have you work with Kelly. And that's when Kelly, you and I started really kind of created a relationship. And some of the stuff you put me through was unique. Were you the one that put me in the harness in, in the main room? I did. But for your safety. <laughs> <laughs> one, I don't like harnesses, but two, got it because I did a whole, um, what was the movie? The Mission Impossible sprawl over the... Oh, that was treadmill awesome. with yes. the little Yelp that came out of my mouth. And I, I've never been so embarrassed because there were so many other people in that room. And, but it was the funniest thing I think I've ever experienced. So that's what the harness was for. I could have face planted into the treadmill. So what is, what is that? Because I'm, there's a lot of people that have said, Oh, I want to run. I want to run. How do you start running? I'm like, well, you're asking the wrong person. Cause I'm not really that good at it. Nor have I ever really been a runner. But what do we need to know to get someone, let's say they're, they're doing fine with their press, their prosthesis, but now they want the running blade, the sports blade, they want to run. Now we got to get down to some serious muscle building, strength training, gait training. What do we need to do? So running is very different from training. Running is very different from how we would train somebody to just walk with their prosthesis. So it's kind of a whole different beast in itself. Um, so first and foremost, um, the first thing I do is, is trying to increase somebody's confidence in being able to land on that prosthesis. So I don't know if you recall the steps that we went through, but the first thing I had you do, Angie, was I would say, okay, just get your, get your prosthetic limb out there. Just get your prosthetic limb out there. And that's what we did for a long time. I got you in the harness, which you didn't like. And I would just tell you, get your prosthesis out there. Just land on the prosthesis. Try landing on the prosthesis. Kick it out. Kick it out. And then from there, I, we worked on a lot of, um, a lot of hip extension. So a lot of glute strength, I would say, okay, get on that prosthesis and now push back really hard and get on that prosthesis Mm -hmm. and push back. And so lots of glute, we did lots of core. I remember using the ab dolly, which you loved so much. And, um, (laughs) we had a lot of fun with that. Yes, we did. Um, And there was, (laughs) Um, uh, the weighted medicine balls, we did a lot of pour with that. And so uh, once, once I'm able to increase the confidence in, in the client that I'm working with, then we could add some of the other, um, kind of fine tweaking the running. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's what I did with you. We, we started with, with the basics, increase your confidence in your prosthesis that it's not going to fail you. We did it with the knee locked. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's the, the safer option until, until you gained confidence. And then we started unlocking the knee yeah. and then we slowly got away from the harness. I think that the day you asked me, can we please not use the harness today? You were so excited. <laughs> yes. It was on the treadmill and yeah. I could at least hold on, which was good. Cause I do remember actually I saw a video the other day of me 
tripping and catching myself on the treadmill. And I'm like, okay, I got this. It's okay. But it is, it's, it's a, it's a real leap of faith, no pun intended, but it's a real leap of faith to, if you look at a runner's gate, there's a moment in time when there's nothing on the ground mm-hmm. and you've got a, you've got, I always said, so this won't break right <laughs> under the pressure. No, it's not supposed to. I have seen some that have snapped, but that's over overuse on Paralympians and stuff like that, but not with me. Yeah. I remember the getting out in the hallway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was so proud of myself, but I was so loud all the time. Cause Dan would come out. There was one time I ran into the wall. <laughs> yeah. There was no hole. Now I find this out. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, you knew you came out and you're like, what are you doing out here? And I'm like, the wall caught me. I mean, now, you know, you now there's no one in the building. So it would have worked out better. Oh yeah. I had to dodge people going to the bathroom. Yeah. Like watch out here. I come. It's like, you know, I felt like a deer, like a baby deer, just having been born. I was just kind of all over the place, but then it got exciting. It took forever, but we finally got over next door to ability 360 on a real track, Mm -hmm. which was great, except I hadn't learned how to run and turn. (laughs) So that was a whole nother thing to do and to continue with the stride in a turn. I was say, what did you add to me that, that was, it was actually great training, like, like great muscle building, but what did we do? So we added resistance. We used the lightning cord. It's called the lightning cord. So I put a belt around Angie's waist and I was holding the other end of it and she would start running. And then this spring would just start uh, increasing tension. There would be increase of tension in the spring Um, and she would, she would get to the point where she was pulling me and I would kind of hold it back and she would pull me. And, um, I, am pretty sure you you may have thrown some curse words in there from time to time at me. That would never have come for me. Only when you let go of the resistance (laughs) (laughs) and I'd be like pushing really hard, really hard. And then you'd go whoop. And and when you'd get some of the like students, the interns doing it, some of them didn't gracefully give. They yeah. kind of just let go, not like physically let go, but really came up behind me. And all of a sudden I was in a f- like flailing. There was a few times that that was, uh, there was some sweat. Let's just say that that was, <laughs> that yeah. was an intriguing, I do miss the resistance. Cause I can't get that here. So but we- I think, I think what made you so successful is that you weren't scared to fall. And the, the reason I say that is I, I, and Dan and I have always told all of our clients this, it's not a matter of if you fall, it's a matter of when you fall, yeah. knowing how to fall and knowing how to get up. So it's something that we always practice mm-hmm. because again, you're, you know, individuals that start walking with prosthetics or start wanting to do something like running with prosthetics, a fall is, is bound to happen. And it's a matter of, you know, knowing it's going to happen, being prepared for it and, um, and mentally saying, mentally saying I could get up, I could do this again. So it's something that, that we kind of always bring up and have a little powwow about with all of our clients. I think it's funny. I have you guys totally snowed. I was always afraid of falling. That is the biggest (laughs) fear because you're like, okay, at my age, I'm not as old as Dan, (laughs) but at my age, (laughs) if I fall, I can't handle a broken wrist or a broken arm. So, you know, there's, there's that, like my husband's like, I'm done with all the surgeries and all the fixings for like eight years. I'm done. So, you know, I, I have to be cautious, but caution when learning something new, actually, and, and fear, I say caution, but fear holds you back from really releasing the true form. Um, but it's, it, I do remember Dan, when I would tell you, I want to run, I want to run. You're like, go on grass. And I'm like, no, cause I'll never run on grass. It'll be the cement. And he's like, run on grass. And I'm like, no. And I know I, 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 well, I tried once in the evening. Cause I did this. I'd always run at night because I didn't want anybody seeing me fall. We got a lot of people in the neighborhood. Everybody's out walking. We don't need to be watching me learn this. You posted anyway. I did. That first video was the most frightening video I've ever posted of myself running, but it was shadowy. So it was okay. But I'd get my son out there to videotape and the grass would, I would always be afraid. So I'd hip up more versus drive through just because yeah. I was afraid I wouldn't clear my toe and, and in with a running blade, 
I know some people will forever and ever run with a locked knee if they're an above knee. I've talked to people that say that's the only way they will. I can't seem to get my body to work that way. So I went unlocked. Let's just say I did purchase a very nice set of skate skater gloves, wrist guards, because every time I would go out, walk or run with my running blade just to get used to it, I would fall. I could do two miles and not fall to the last block, but it would happen. And there is nothing worse than landing on your wrists. I've, I've had some very sore bones. Um, and it is, it's a little bit frightening to let go like that. When it comes to, like I said, there's a lot of people that I know are going to listen because they've been told they don't need PT. I I'm just curious on, is there any red tape or insurance type version of this where a prosthetist can actually dictate no PT and that that has to be abided by? I haven't, no, I haven't, I haven't, I don't see many prosthetists that don't prefer that their clients do get the therapy. So I, I would say sometimes some physicians don't think that they need it. I would, I would say it's more below the knee that is maybe sometimes told they don't need it than above mm-hmm. the knee. Because, you know, having your knee joint there, it's kind of assumed, well, you'll just put this thing on and it'll be the same as, as you know, before. Yes. So maybe below the knee, I've seen more prosthetists and, and uh, physicians sometimes say you don't need it. You know, kind of going along to your last comment on being confident about when you're, what you're doing and, and what it, how it um, affects you negatively when you're not comfortable, mm-hmm. that some of the, the gift or the, the expertise that you, that you develop when you work with people with prosthetics of putting them in a successful environment that's just challenging enough to progress them, mm-hmm. but not too much that quality and technique goes away. Because yeah. if you just bring someone into the gym and, and with an above the knee amputation and say, walk with nothing and it's going to work. You, it's not going to work. You, mm-hmm. you have to be comfortable and confident in your mind, what you're doing while you're walking, or you're going to get tentative and your body's not going to operate smoothly and, and naturally. Nice. So that's even, even, you know, if a physician were to say you don't need, so again, I think it'd be mostly with below the knee that sometimes it happens. But like one of the machines that is a is a game changer for us is called the Alter G. And especially for below the knee, for below the knee, even more so than above the knee, we always say respect the end of your bone. So in other words, the end of your reputation, if you're getting pain in the bone um, from the socket or from the activity that you're doing, that's usually not something to work through. That usually means it's a fitting issue. You need to add socks. You need to mm-hmm. add, uh, maybe have some padding around the socket or something, but, you know, being able to start that person off, keep them in a challenged, but, but safe and non-painful environment allows a, a person with a below the knee amputation can progress quickly. Uh, if you help them along without, again, just saying, push through that and just walk, 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 walk. Cause that's not always going to do it. One of, you know, we, we talked about the, the glutes. Mm-hmm. And so we talked and a lot of people think, you know, our big glute, the big part of our butt, when we say that the glute glute max, but even with an, uh, with the below the knee amputation, this, the side of our glute is so important. Even, even up to the time when you were working on running, if you remember, we'd always be like, Oh, we're still getting that little bit of uh-huh. lean from your body. And that was because the side, your side glute is only like as big as your hand. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's not near, it doesn't have the mechanical advantage that your, the big part of your glutes have. And it's your side to side balance when you're on your leg. So for above and below the knee that could get missed by, you know, a physician or prosthetist. And, and that can dictate someone that, maybe they might walk with a walker or a cane pretty decent, but if you truly want to get, you know, where you want to get, you have to hit those, those fine details. It's funny that you say that because I've had people ask, you know, how do you walk the way you walk? And I don't 
still don't think I walk the way I want to walk. So I'm always working on it. When I go out hiking or walking, I'm always thinking about my gait. So sometimes I try to have a conversation maybe with my husband and I'm like, not now. <laughs> Cause I, I can't, I can't, I'm focused. Like you have no idea how much I'm focusing right now. I'm just walking, but I have, I have told people that if you're not keeping your hip in, and I, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but tight up in there and then walking with your leg right under your hip and c- kicking straight through, you're going to get that waddle. And I had that a lot. I, I, I walk at night a lot. So the street lights don't lie. <laughs> you watch your shadow. It's a horrible. I'm like, Oh, it's an instant. Correct. Every street light. I'm like, Oh, there it is. And then straighten up, get it in, get it working. I have found that since I've gotten rid of my neuroma, I don't walk as much like that. That neuroma was dictating because I couldn't handle the pain. And now I tell my husband, oh my gosh, like I don't have that. It's so exciting because now I can really work on the gate without having to like grit and bear it. And that's what I was doing. But that muscle there, Dan, that's much stronger than it was when I saw you. Right. I mean, that, that thing has had to work overtime with everything I do. And with hiking, right. hiking's a great, it's been great for me. It's actually better than walking on the streets, minus the street I'm lights. Glad, I'm glad to hear you say that about landing with the leg underneath you. That that sometimes people either get different instruction from different people, whether it, you know different therapists or mm-hmm. prosthetists. But landing your feet wide, even though it seems like that would make you more stable, is not going to lead to normal gait, and actually ends up being less efficient over time. Even though you feel safer and stable at first Mm -hmm. it doesn't lead to you know to the good walking that you want over time it's true and even long distance if i even go two miles out and i'm feeling tired or lazy or i'm sore and i notice that i'm i'm striding wider or being lazy with how my hip pushes out when i walk I'm so exhausted at that point in time and so then i have to really regather and that little bit of strength just to keep it parallel or right under is, is, is definitely a much better feel long distance, you know, right. and, and it's building the right kind of muscles and I don't want to have back issues or hip issues in the long run. And all of that is like a domino effect. Yeah. If you got a bad gait with your prosthetic, you're going to end up having multiple other issues that are going to show. Right. Yeah. And I I think the biggest thing with that is like Dan said, trying to get the limb under you is oftentimes when someone doesn't go through proper therapy, they end up relying on their sound limb. And so all of their Mm -hmm. weight is on that sound limb. And so over time, what we see is that then they start wearing down the joints on their sound limb, the hip, the knee joint, the ankle joint, because all that weight is over there. And so um, that's, you know, going back to, to your original question, I think that's why it's so important to advocate for patients to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes I, I would agree with Dan. I think it, it comes more from the physicians, um, not referring to physical therapy, um, especially if they don't know any physical therapists in the area that specialize in mm-hmm. prosthetics. And so I think it, you know, it's so important that patients advocate for themselves and understand that that physical therapy can help them and they, you know, they can be successful ambulators with a prosthesis. For sure. And I think now with social media, the world has gotten so much smaller that you really, you know, I would hope that people would see others out there and be inspired knowing that no matter what they could do it, if the work is put in and you're with the right people and the right people are helping you have a support staff and support people around you. Um, versus feeling like intimidated while well, never get there and shutting down. You know, again, we've talked with the people I've been talking through with limb loss awareness month is, you know, the attitude or the mindset that uh, an amputee has going into this or after an accident or a sickness or whatever, and they're an amputee that will really ultimately be a humongous decider on their success. If they're upset, ornery, can't let it go, watching the past, looking back and wondering what life could have been like, they're going to be stuck there with no place but down, you know? And, and I say that there's been times, there's very few times, like I said, I consider myself lucky as much as I've gone through this, I would do it again. Um, has it been easy? No. Have there been tears while showering and frustrated that I always have to sit down when I shower? 
yes but in the scheme of my life the last two years have been much more happy and healthy for me for elongating my life because i'm healthier where i'm at mentally and physically this this is a good thing and it can be for everybody but i'm not looking at what i lost i'm looking at what i'm gaining you know the idea is to look forward right not look back and accept it move forward let it go and start working you know nose to the grindstone kind of a feel yeah and i I think that's where you guys came in right well you also had peer support you had you were able to talk to people before surgery and even if it wasn't before people that are able to talk to people after and have that person some people don't do well in structured peer support groups which are out there in there you know in arizona and around the country but even just a a person to keep bouncing things off of and knowing what to expect you know we have we have people that like you said get frustrated you know, two, three weeks or six months in because their prosthetic still isn't stabilized fit in a, in a, in a normal fit. They're still having to adjust socks, you know, six months post-surgery and they need to know that that's very normal. It's there. I mean, as you know, it's not going to, you're not going to wake up and it's going to be the same every day. I mean, we ran when we um, did the, what did we do? The, the double marathon was it? Or? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> right. it, was an, it was an ultra. Right. right. <laughs> an ultra. It felt like it. We were, we were going to do that, but Kelly held us back. <laughs> Kelly um, said, no, I no. I was uh, pregnant. Right. <laughs> this is Always true. using that excuse. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, uh, less than a mile into that race, you are always already chafed and needing to change socks, and but you you push through and that's kind of an extreme example, but yeah, you know, someone not letting, you know, fit, if it doesn't fit perfect that day, still make it work with socks and, and walk that day. Yeah. You know, just, just keep moving forward is a lot of the, the solution of, you know, of success for that. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so I also think that, um, I don't have an amputation. Dan doesn't have an amputation. So sure, this is our area of expertise, but we don't know what it's like. And so you could you could hear, um, we could instruct patients on how to properly care for their limb. The prosthetist could instruct them how properly to care for their limb. But I think it comes down to being able to connect with another individual that has a prosthesis. And so one thing that I have always loved about the clinic that Dan runs is that we made it a point to try to group our patients mm-hmm. with similar amputation levels um, around each other. And so, yep. so it was, it kind of, you know, the, the clinic itself doesn't have a waiting room, which at first I thought oh, it doesn't have a waiting room. That's kind right. of strange. But, but as patients started coming in, it's, it's really wonderful because patients start Thanks. coming in and they kind of, they kind of have their little, we joke, they kind of have their little coffee talk prior to starting therapy, right? So they get to talk to Mm -hmm. other individuals with amputations or somebody who's in a wheelchair is able to meet somebody else who's in a wheelchair. And so I think that's, that's a great way to get that support and that, um, that peer support that a lot of um, individuals are looking for and need to go through this process. And it's interesting you say that because, you know, I, I, you know, you go there and I was really focused and I mean, I don't know if you knew I was really focused, <laughs> but I was, <laughs> I, was yeah. I was like, I need to be going, let's go. What else can I do? Let's build this. Let's move. Let's run. I even was like, before I get dismissed from here, can I do a handstand push up? I mean, that's where I was at. It was absolutely nuts. But when you say that Kelly, it's so true because I actually looked forward. I remember the first time getting on the treadmill and there is nothing more like, you know, pop buttons than having somebody else that's maybe going, oh my gosh, you were on the treadmill. That's incredible. And they're in a wheelchair and you feel bad because they have the same amputation as you. The one I remember same month and year of my amputation and she still wasn't walking. That's why I say, I feel very blessed on where I'm at. Um, I know I put in the time, effort and attitude 
for sure. But I also surrounded myself with the right people. I did have the peer to peers, but I did enjoy going. And there were people that I would cheer on and other people would cheer me on. And then you just look, you know, you, you'd walk in and you're like, oh, he's here today. Hey bud, what's up? How you doing? And we just, even in the middle of their therapy, it gave them just that little bit of a break and knew that that was like family there. And again, I will circle back and I have circled back with every guest this month. It really comes down to the relationships you build with the people that you're around. When you have relationships like that, and it wasn't like I counted on them, but it's a great perk. It's a great lift me up because uh, we're going to all have bad days. We're all going to have days where we maybe have a setback. I'm two years over two years in. And I will tell you right now, even though I had that TMR surgery, I have a new, no, one of my pains is back and I'm, I'm going to have to go for a block and everything. And I could be like, Oh, come on. This stinks, blah, blah, blah. I can't because I don't know when this will end, if it'll ever end. And I better start figuring out how to deal with it. And that's where I'm at now. Even though I had my surgery in December, the neuroma on the back is good, but the right at the end of the limb is really painful. And so my choice is to think positive, to have hope and to just keep pressing forward until I can figure this out, you know? And that's why we have to advocate for ourselves because you guys wouldn't know that looking at me, People that see me in the parking lot, walking to the grocery store, they don't know that I'm like, you know, oh, oh, it hurts. They have no idea. They have no idea what that feels like to know that every step you take could possibly take your breath away. And if I don't tell people or I don't share what I'm feeling and then almost analyze it, like, and Dan, you know this about me because you worked so closely with me at the beginning. I overanalyze almost everything because that's, I want to understand I, and, and you guys always educated, right? I'd ask the questions like, why is that happening? How can I fix that? Kelly with running, you know, I wish I could get past this. What do I need to do? You know, help me understand it. And that's, that's where I'm at all the time. I'm always trying to figure out, but if I didn't go back at, and that time when it started coming back, I went back to Dan and Dave and Randy. Okay. What do we need to do? Went back to the surgeon that did the TMR. What do we need to do? I even went back to Dr. Cummings. Even though he is, you know, amputation one and done, he saw me and he's the one that actually said, why don't you try nerve block? And I'm like, oh, I never thought about that. So that's what I'm doing next uh, in two weeks is a nerve block and hoping that that works. So this whole group, and I literally it's my tribe and you guys have all been so fantastic listeners. These are the kind of people you want on your side, because when I say crazy idea, Hey, let's all run a 10 K and they're like, I'm like, come on, it'll be fun. And I'm talking, it'll be fun. I was never more sore in my life, but you two were both there. These guys were both with me for my 10 K. They were a part of that milestone. Cause that was, that was the first year milestone of hard work, not just learning how to walk again, but learning to run for the first time in like eight years. I didn't run forever. Um, and like I said, I'm not a runner anyway, so I don't know what I was thinking, but you know, Kelly and Dan were there and they did, uh, the 10 K with me and they never, they never threw it in my face that they were ahead of me. They always stayed behind. <laughs> they let me cross the finish line first, even though I was almost dead last in the whole field, but that's okay. Cause it was about finishing that day. One of these days I'll actually run, run, run. I think. We'll see. Then you're going to have to train me. <laughs> yeah, I'm still working on that. We're romping. And, and you know what? And guys, the Romp Global, they're amazing people trying to get prosthetics to people all over the world that can't afford them, uh, underprivileged countries and stuff. And I love working and doing things for them. They do climbing activities and I like climbing. And right now, Kelly and Dan are both on my Romp and Warriors team where we're trying to build up as a team over 2,000 miles, 2,021 miles for 2021 and also uh, raise $2,021 so that we can get that to the right hands to get prosthetics because freedom of mobility is empowering and we need that. I feel bad for people that can't afford it. And it's a struggle. It really is even here within our own community. Yeah. Would you agree? That's probably one of the hardest things, unfortunately, with insurance is trying to get the right thing in a timely yeah. manner. I feel like, I don't know how many people you see that do that, but it seems like there's a lot of people that wait months upon months upon months, maybe even years 
get the equipment they need. Certainly for the higher end equipment, yeah, or you know, wheelchairs and stuff, walking equipment. But the the you know the getting a microprocessor knee is can can be a long process for some people. Right, right. So one more story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was going to add anything. Unfortunately, anything recreational is off is yes. typically never covered by insurance unless it's uh, unless you're military or something like that. So, so private insurance companies don't cover anything recreational, um, which is a shame because a lot of people, you know, that's their livelihood. If they were a runner before, they want to keep running. If they were a cyclist before, they want to keep cycling. And so um, there are some wonderful um, organizations all over the nation. I know in Arizona, K2 Adventures does some great work and um, provides running blades, swimming arms, stuff like that for individuals with amputations. Yeah. Um, yeah and it is it's and it's hard because there are more amputees than you really realize and when you have several of them trying to get those scholarships there's only so much money that's been donated to these programs uh mine came from wiggle your toes out of minnesota and you know just timing was right and my drive to do the 10k for saint jude was a big i think help on in my corner um but yeah those those parts are they're not cheap. And if it's a want versus a need, you don't really have a chance on that. You know, the, even with my sea leg, I, I spent four weeks fighting insurance to get it. And, and I had proven that I was going to be using it hard. And I have, you know, I mean, that there's, there's no denying. I put some miles on this thing. So one last thing, which I think was interesting, was taking it totally outside the box when I came in towards the end of my stint with you guys. Uh, one thing I thought was kind of funny is I think Dan, you told me at one point in time, I think you're about done because we're not really teaching you anything. Cause I came in and said, I want to learn to surf and I'm talking to desert rats. They're like surf. Okay. And right. it was great. Cause it was Mariah that you had at the time. And she went home and she started researching how to surf, who surfs as a pre- with a prosthetic that we, And she'd come in and we'd both be like, did you see? Yeah, did you see? And we had the same video up and it was so funny. And she was awesome. I mean, some of the, it was a core workout, massive upper body strength building. um, Some of the craziest um, exercises I've ever done, but totally made me proud of the effort I put into it. And, and it worked. I remember getting on the, um, the (laughs) we and and trying to do, uh, was it snowboarding? No. What was it? It was skiing. It's both. Well, they're skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. I was, you have no idea when you have a knee that doesn't totally bend like a normal knee, how hard it was to, to tip. There was times my foot fell off the wee board and that's a little yeah. frightening when you're looking at the screen and all of a sudden you kind of fall an inch, but still, and that right. was, uh, that was interesting. But again, it wasn't like something you probably ever thought I was going to bring up and you surely were never going to bring up, Hey, you want to try working on surfing? I mean, it, that was me being me, I guess. And just thinking outside the box on the sky was a limit to me. I mean, I think I was sat in bed for so many years that I wanted to live every ounce of what I could. Well, actually that's, that's a good segue that I didn't want to forget. You're you're reminding me. Um, So Arizona disabled water sports Mm. in Arizona up at Bartlett Lake, they host, um, days on the lake for people with different disabilities. And we just met with them along with some of the prosthetic reps um, last month. And they have special days. They currently have special days for people with spinal cord injuries and brain injuries. But we are trying to create a specific day uh, for clients with amputations. Oh, cool. get the word out there. If you're interested, you can either contact Touchstone Rehab or Arizona Disabled water sports it's it's not expensive most of it is covered by the sponsors um so we're sponsoring it along with some other companies but we really want to make a day for clients to get out there um, with amputations and there's there's stuff as easy as just riding a boat up to uh skiing so um, that's awesome it's gonna be fun we want to we want to start a new a new day for for you guys my question yeah. is, is Kelly, when are you going to come back and visit and be a part of a running clinic? Oh, we should set that up, Dan. That would be really fun. 
I actually, um, we actually were just talking tonight, we're going to be going out there at the end of summer, which of course is not very ideal in Arizona with the heat, but we should definitely talk about that because that would be really fun to do a little running clinic. We would have to probably start at six in the morning to avoid the uh, 120 degree weather. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like July, August. Yeah. yeah, let's do that. Let's get out. And we run. will get back on that. that. It was in the planning stages before COVID. Um, I mean, we, we've had running clinics in the area in the past. We just have to kind of pull it back together. So. I like it. I think we should, we should do it. I would more, be more than happy to promote it and help you guys get that going and everything. That would be great. Sure. I would appreciate that. I'm still literally trying to figure out how to get in my leg and not be apprehensive. And I've just got yeah. to do it. I've just got to do it. It's what it's One about. Thing, just do it. That's right. It, so I guess even whether you're running or, or walking, one thing I would say is, you know, protect that other foot. If you have an amputation on one side, you know, get a good shoe yes. for the other foot. Even if you're just walking, you're still going to put a lot of demand on that side. So, so protect it. For sure. Well, Hey, I appreciate all your time. I do have a little bit of a game here at the end called this or that it's a speed round. And it's kind of nice because we have a, a guy and a girl speaking, uh, David and Randy would, would say it at the same time. And luckily most things, they were like, twins they kept saying the same thing i'm gonna give you two items and you have to just the first thing that intrigues you and we get to know you in a little bit more of a fun game fashion are you ready okay. all right no thinking dan no thinking i'm scared already <laughs> kelly's the one like what is it like 10 30 there i'm losing my internet yeah. i think no you're not all right here we go ready <laughs> morning person or night owl night owl person Sushi or pizza? Pizza. Pizza. And then sushi. Okay. Sushi pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Mountains or ocean? Ocean. Mountains. That was pretty obvious with the Florida girl and, uh, and an Arizona guy. <laughs> Books or movies? Movies. Movies. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Introvert. Country or <laughs> pop rock? Country. Country. You, no, it's what's that guy's name? Pitbull or something? Oh, okay, but he's <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's an exception. <laughs> you gotta, From you Miami. Gotta, yeah, right. Exactly. You got to go with that. Cooking or taking out? Cooking. Oh. Uh, <laughs> taking out. <laughs> <laughs> so much for not thinking. All right. <laughs> Carnivore or a vegetarian? Carnivore. Carnivore. Coffee or tea? Neither. Coffee. Neither. I know. Dan doesn't drink coffee. It's so bizarre to me. Yeah, that is kind of, that's rough. I don't actually want to still be friends. But he likes the smell. He likes the smell. What? <laughs> I said, like, we just what? can't be friends. <laughs> All right, I'm what? not a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason for that. You need coffee. <laughs> then you could be a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you went wrong. All right, one more. Indoors or outdoors? Out. Outdoors. All right. Excellent. You guys, thank you so much for spending your time. Kelly, thank you for the late hour. Dan, working all day and still being able to get on. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your friendship. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having us. There you have it. Kelly and Dan from Touchtone Rehabilitation. Um, two amazing people who really got me on my feet, no pun intended. Coming up next week, we have Dr. Ronnie Pruch, the plastic surgeon who did my recent TMR surgery. He'll be here talking to us about what that really means and how you go about doing it and finding out if you are a candidate for TMR surgery. As for this week's call to action, I think what seems a reasonable call to action is getting out and getting active and making this week, the next seven days, where you do something outdoors, something active, and something in your prosthetic, whether it's just walking or going for a run, hiking, biking, uh, maybe even swimming. Some of us can swim with our prosthetic on. I can't, but some of you can. Um, trying to figure out how you can get yourself into a, um, a positive 
schedule where you all of a sudden start getting into the habit that if you can get out every day. Now, if you're struggling with just walking, this is a great time to start building up because I know the weather is getting better in most of our nation and not too hot here in Arizona yet. And so if you can get out, let's say you can barely get down to the end of the block. Well, then make it your goal that in the next couple days, you make it to the end of the block and back. If you can make it to the end of the block, then give yourself the next set of goals. And that would be go two blocks and so on. And that's kind of how I built. I took myself until I knew I couldn't go any further. And then the next day, I didn't sit there and go, well, I'm not going to go out. I, I did that yesterday. I went out again the next day. And that's the only way you can really get used to your prosthetic, the only way that you're going to really break it in, and the only way that you're going to build up toughness on your residual limb and the muscle in there. So get out, get active, and do it. That's the, the best way I know to be successful is just getting out and doing it. So for seven days, I want you to make small little goals get out, get real with yourself. Um, Use this time for you to be introspective, um, to work on the things that you've been shying away from. And with that success, you're going to really start feeling an attitude change. You're going to start feeling healthier. You're going to start releasing uh, the hormones that will make you happier. And it's just going to be a positive domino effect. So call to action. Let me see you get out and get real for the next seven days until the next um, podcast. And by all means, every time I always say, reach out to me, let me know how it's going. Let me know where you're struggling um, and tell me your your success stories. I want to hear it all. And until next time, be healthy, be happy, be you. (laughs) 